Greetings, everyone, and welcome to 217faith.church, the church that fits your schedule. We believe that God has called us into this ministry to preach His truth based on the Bible through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we desire to do this in practical ways that lead us to activate our faith and our service to God and others. Additionally, that we may mature in our faith, which will lead us to give glory to our God and Savior in all things as we humbly seek to do His will and not our own. And so today we come across this passage in the book of Colossians, written by the Apostle Paul to the church of his day, but I believe also to us today. This passage serves as a guide for our efforts here, and we hope that it will speak to your heart today. Colossians 3, 12 to 17, from the Common English Bible translation, reads as follows. Therefore, as God's choice, holy, and love, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Be tolerant of each other, and if someone has a complaint against anyone, forgive each other, as the Lord forgave you, so also forgive each other. And over all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. The peace of Christ must control your heart, a peace into which you were called in one body, and be thankful people. The word of Christ must live richly in you. Teach and warn each other with all wisdom by the singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing to God with gratitude in your heart. And whatever you do, whether in speech or action, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father through Him. May God grant us wisdom as we dig into His Word together today. There are three sections in this passage that jump right up at me, and we would like to walk through them together today. You see, the people of God and the church itself have always meant to be a beacon of hope to the rest of the world, living in this world but separated from it. Do you know what I mean? As a result, I would like for us to contrast this passage that we read in the Scriptures from Paul with what he believes the church should be doing versus how it is that many times we actually behave. Sadly, more and more, the church is less different than the world. Have you ever heard the 50% of marriages end in divorce? Have you heard that stat? Well, I also just recently read that it's not much different. It's almost identical for Christian couples. But why is that? Is it a fault of the relationship or of the believer's heart? You remember the story of Adam? He was quick to blame his wife. And trust me, my wife and I nearly went through a separation. And we had our blame, our share of blamings uh, towards each other. Yet it wasn't until we began to look inward and asking God to change us, me, that we were able to continue with our union. In the believer's life, if God is the source of strength and hope, then why do our marriages, in this example, why do they still crumble as quickly as it does for an unbelievers? I challenge us to ponder. Is it because we, uh, uh, we many of us, of course, or many in the church, call themselves mere Christians in name rather than in practice? I believe that Paul is going to get to that in this passage that he's addressing to us. 
And so let's look together at the first segment of Scripture for today and ask ourselves the question, what should be the outward expression of the follower of Jesus versus what it tends to be throughout history? Going back to Colossians 3, verse 12, we read, Therefore, as God's choice, holy, and loved. That's pretty amazing. But we need to understand what it is that God means here. What is the apostle saying to us, the church? Other translations use the word elect. Now, this does not mean some sort of cult or, or special person. The elect simply refers to those who God calls to his service through his Holy Spirit. And in a willful response, we they accept. In other words, we're talking about Christians, the church. As imitators of Christ, we are chosen by God, privileged, not, not so that we can lure it over other people, but chosen to serve others in Jesus' name. The next word there is we're referred to as holy, meaning morally blameless. Now, I've heard plenty of people claim that sinless perfection is an impossibility, yet Jesus did it. If we, with the help of God, can surrender our lives to Him and try to live every day in His service without sin, and when we do fall, immediately run to the source of renewal and seek to be cleansed and forgiven, indeed, we will be living holy lives. The last description for us that Paul uses uh, is the word loved. Guess what Greek word this is? It is. It is agape, God's sacrificial love, His all-encompassing, all-in-love, right, for you and for me. A love willing to do whatever it takes to secure our obedience and allegiance. So let us approach this message today through that lens, chosen, holy, and beloved people. We're not speaking for the world or even Christians who claim a faith that, that, that perhaps is a mile wide but only a millimeter thick. It is clear to me that Paul addresses those who have accepted God's calling faith. Again, no special club here. This must be the behavior of the church, the identity of the church and of you and me. What follows then in this scripture is a, a fruit of the spirit-like list, calling for the church's behaviors and defining characteristics. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. We know from the letter to the Galatians in chapter 5 that these Holy Spirit-inspired character traits are not self-obtained, but they require the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. Who does the Holy Spirit of God indwell? Well, the faithful follower of Jesus, of course. Another way for us to grasp the meaning of this verse is perhaps to put it in a question form and ask ourselves, am I compassionate? Am I kind, humble, gentle, and patient? You know, if the answer is no to any of these, it is not something for us to simply brush away. But we must truly pause and try to identify why it is that we may not be living out these godly characteristics and seek to help to ensure that others are following in as well. Sadly, we, the church, often behave in opposition to this list. Much like unbelievers, we treat each other with judgmental attitudes, demanding, controlling, mean to each other, proud. These are all the opposite of what we should be doing. In the world, we expect this sort of emotional abuse, not that it is acceptable even in a secular setting, but when people experience it in the church, it actually turns them away from a loving God. And guess who's going to be held responsible in the end? 
we who called ourselves the church. Not for, hey, we kept them sinners in line, right? Because we failed to be Christ to a world desperately seeking the truth of, truth of God, even if they don't realize it. My friends, we live in a world that justifies sinful behavior as a personal right. Yet the believer's life is about surrendering to a higher power, to God our Creator, and living according to His will for our lives. Those things that sinners are seeking in the world to fill the emptiness in their lives can only be filled by the hope of Christ. I cannot testify to that in a personal way. Until they and we realize that, until many in the church stop approving ungodly behavior and with love help to correct them and bring them back to God, that we will continue then on this dangerous downward spiral in our society that regretfully leads to destruction and eternal damnation. Again, unless the church begins to live according to God's will. And so then we go into verse 13 of Colossians 3, where we are reminded that we should be tolerant of everyone. Now, I don't want you to mistake the meaning of this biblical word with today's twisted definition. The word here really is to forbear one another, meaning to carry each other's burdens. It does not mean accepting sinful behavior. It never has. It means walking alongside sinners and letting your own godly behaviors cause them to want to seek the righteous truth of God rather than their own selfish behaviors. Not enough Christians out there living the right life, so sinners are doing what they want. If that hurts you, then maybe you should examine how you live in your life. You see, the greatest lie that the devil ever believed was that he could do it better than God. The devil was given dominion over the earth, and he desired all control, but only God has all the control. We're no different. When we live selfishly, we are saying we don't need God, yet we could not be any more wrong. God is calling and is willing to do whatever it takes to restore us to him. He forgave us, and so must we. Yet one thing that makes the church very similar to the world is sometimes our unwillingness to forgive. That's not a good thing, by the way. My good friend says that God calls us to forgive in ridiculous ways. This means that even when you think you have forgiven someone, you still got to do it 77 times more. It's not about a number, but about a consistent, honest desire to clear others of their guilt and allow the Holy Spirit to heal them and us through this obedient act of forgiveness. After all, Jesus did nothing wrong. And even he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Now, we already mentioned this. Uh, it's impossible on, on our own strength, right? So it must be the Holy Spirit of God that does this work. Now, again, in Galatians 5, and 23, Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit or faith in action characteristics that God wants to develop in His chosen, beloved people. And the list begins with love. Now, consequently, hence, the answer here uh, to the church in Colossians, which is another place, is the same thing. In verse 14, Paul says, over all these things, what things? Well, that list that he just gave us, right? Over all of these things... Put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Which brings us then to the second question I'd like for us to ponder today. 
what should be the physical representation of the actions of a follower of Jesus? I gave you the answer. It has to be love. What type of love is talking about? Well, yes, you guessed it. Paul uses the same agape love here that we've already identified. It is the same agape love that we hear about in John 3.16. For God so loved the world. It is a charitable and giving love, one of affection and closeness, and not a physical way, but truly an emotional one. Yes, we are to love one another as Christ loved us, us as in John 13, 34. You see, Jesus called this a new commandment, but what makes it new? What makes it new is that it's meant uh, to be a love for all people, not just, not just your nation or your identity or, or people that are close to you. God loved the world and gave His Son for our sake so that we might be saved. All of creation, not just Jews or Christians. God's love is for everyone who accepts it. We are therefore called to love one another. Do not mistake love with the acceptance of sinful behavior. Think of the love of a father who, while seeing his child make poor decisions, still loves them and welcomes them home. This by no means says that, that their pure behaviors is accepted. No, in fact, it must be made clear that it will not be tolerated. We still love that child. Tolerant and forgiven, as we read in, this, in the verse there, right? Again, not tolerant in the misguided sense of our society today, but more like humbly putting ourselves in the place of others. As we ask God to forgive us, then we must forgive others. Let me clarify one last minute. It is not the church or the individual believer's job to accept sinful behavior. We must love the sinner, but denounce the sin. I truly am sorry if your child or loved one or friend uh, is involved in drugs or alcohol or, or living promiscuously. I'm sorry if, if they have done the unthinkable in, in having an, an abortion or actively living in a homosexual relationship. This is sin. It's no different than lying or stealing or abusing a spouse or a child. No different than murder. We do that we classify sin to make our sins feel better. Yet sin is at work in the world, destroying lives, and we are not to dismiss it or accept it, but we have to speak against it so that the person involved may have an opportunity to repent and turn away from those destructive influences. Let me say it again, in case you didn't hear me before. We will always love the individual, but we must not tolerate the sin. Tolerance of sinful behavior is why our world is in the condition it's in from the beginning. I pray for my children daily and I ask God to help them make good choices according to their upbringing. Does this mean that they won't mess up? Unfortunately, no. Lord knows I've done my share of stupid sinful acts and I'm sure my parents have prayed for me all of my life. The fact remains that God is merciful and the point is that when we repent of our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive. If we repent and not merely justify our behaviors. Just because we are called to be tolerant, it does not mean that we become permissive. Sin and rebellion against God is wrong and must not be tolerated. That's not what we're talking about here. 
Some who would seek to confuse us and turn us against our Father above would say, well, more you just contradicted yourself there. Yet there is no contradiction when we look at it from the only perspective that matters. And that is the perspective of our Father, of our Creator. In love, we must speak against sin and what is wrong. How can we apply this love to our behavior and dealing with others? Well, not just in love, but the scripture says, with the peace of Christ, it says, which must control our hearts. These are two other characteristics, by the way, of the fruit of the Spirit. Peace, meaning shalom, a deep inner personal peace that leads us to control our actions, which is self-control. With the help of the Holy Spirit, of course, so that we may live as true representatives of Christ. How do we, the church, come across instead? Well, either we go way too far into the leftist evil thinking and become super permissive of clearly sinful behavior for the sake of love. Or the church becomes closed off and we become across as narrow-minded and unmerciful. Both are wrong. Jesus told the woman found in adultery to go and sin no more. There was no judgment, simply in love and with a peaceful mindset. He acknowledged her wrongdoing, her sin, and he called her to repent and to stop making the poor choices. Because Jesus does the same for us as the church, we must do so for others as well. The call to repentance is ongoing, whether you are an unbeliever or a seasoned follower of Jesus. We all need to repent and confess. So how dare we judge others that need that, but perhaps have not received an invitation. Remember, judge not that you might not be judged, says the Scriptures. Here's another one, equally important, John 3.17. Reminds us that Christ did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. Friends, Paul, speaking to the church in Rome, reminds us of that uh, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation is reserved for angels that rebelled against God and for you and for me when we do the same. In what we call the Old Testament, we learn that the law was meant to point us to our need for a Savior. Read through the Old Testament, you will, this will become clear. Jesus is the Savior. We are made free from the law because of what Jesus did on the cross. We, the church, must now point others to the need of a Savior, which is still Jesus. Repentance is the only way to truly please God, my friends. If others choose not, then the consequences are clear. Consequences, yet, yet yes, God has pronounced, but consequences that are fully imposed by the person refusing to repent and trust in the one true God, the creator of the universe, rather than the self, which, of course, is sin in disguise. This is why I believe we are called to not only do these things in love and with peaceful and self-controlled hearts, but also, as important, with a heart of gratitude. The meaning of the word here is one of being in someone else's favor, gratitude. We live under the favor of God, who, while we were still sinners, says Romans 5, 8, sent His Son, Christ, the Messiah, to die for our sins. God grants His favor to those who faithfully follow Him. 
So we must respond in kind and in gratitude in our service of others. If we go back just a couple of words in those verses of Scripture there, it would appear that there is a direct link between peace of heart and thankfulness. Now, clearly it is easier to be thankful when your heart is at peace. But how do we reflect gratitude when life is not going quite as we had hoped? If you're anything like me, I have grand plans in my mind. They are all truly meant to share the love of God with others, yet none of them seem to come to fruition. Not a one. And I've often wondered why, as, as I lose my, my sense of peace, I allow my mind to wonder, and sometimes I wonder, am I, am I dreaming beyond what God is willing to do in my life? No. Quickly, God ministers to my heart, and the peace that I feel, the peace that we are called to exercise, allows me to look at it from a different perspective, a godly perspective. More along the lines that I'm not somehow out dreaming God, but I'm not ready to embark on those dreams. You see, God has granted a vision. That's what he gives us. But if I'm not ready, then it must be that there's still more training or more preparation to occur. Which leads me then to the third question I'd like for us to ponder today. Colossians 3. What should be the ongoing motivation of the follower of Jesus? If we are truly to be different from the world around us, we must permit the peace of God to control us. And we must be thankful people, teaching others about the wisdom of God to accomplish what our Maker requires of us. Does it say that we're going to do it from our own self-discoveries? No. But simply by the Word of Christ, which is the Scriptures. God expects that whatever we do, we do it in the name of Jesus and for the glory of God. The word here is the word logos, which is a divine expression, a doctrine, an intent. That's what we get when we read the scriptures. Did you know that Jesus' lessons are all taken from, the, from his studies of the Old Testament? Of course, when he was around, there was no such thing of the New Testament. The New Testament is a continuation of what God said he would do in the Old now, I don't like those two words, and I, I, I don't mean old and new in the same sense that, you know, I got a new pair of pants because my old pair of pants was old, you know, was old and worn out. No, but truly meaning a covenant with God towards humanity. That's the Old Testament, followed by the fulfillment of that covenant. That is the New Testament. How has the church in the world acted in these instances? Well, sadly, in many cases, it has been to seek self edification, justifying sinful behavior, and permitting evil to persuade our children rather than God's holy word. We cannot have prayer in the schools, yet demons dressed in drag can freely corrupt our children with disgusting behaviors. We uh, People look down on parents who discipline their children when they go astray, yet murdering a child is fine because, hey, you're in control of your body. Church, we must stand separate from the world and be beacons of hope for why people should want to live differently, why people should want to be in relationship with a benevolent Father. Our current behaviors are leading us to hell in a handbasket, as they say, at life speeds. Yet God is merciful, and He established the church not to judge sinners, but to love them, to call them to repentance, and instruct them with the Word of God. Take time each day to examine your own outward expressions. Are they God-honoring? 
Take time to examine your physical representations of God's mercy and grace in your life. Are they Christ-centered? Seek daily to further develop your ongoing motivations to serve God in the service of others. Does God's Holy Spirit inspire this service? There you have it. It's the Trinity of God in our lives so that we may serve Him in complete obedience. That's what putting our faith into action is all about. That's what living a practical faith is all about. It's not about what I can get for myself, but about living God's agape love daily in compassion with a grateful heart and dedication to our Lord and to our Savior. Now, if this message calls you to repent of your past actions, of sinful behaviors, and I pray that you would do so in obedience. If you are a believer and the Holy Spirit is convicting you of how you, perhaps as part of the church, have misused the mercies of God in our care of sinners, then I pray you too would repent. There is only one way to live, and that is God's way. It's not my way. It's not the world's way. It's not how I identify way. Anything else requires our repentance and surrender to the will of God to stop living in disobedience and to seek to fulfill our heart our desires with God's joy, love, and peace. Are you willing to do that? Church, are you willing to be the vessel that God intends for us to be? To channel sinners towards the choice of repentance unto our God who loves us and graciously opens his arms to us. We have some work to do. The biblical end is closer than we think. So we must act with urgency, a sense of urgency, and get to work in accomplishing the will of God. And as Paul puts it, in everything we do, whether in speech or action, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And give thanks to God, the Father, through Him. Not sometimes, church. Not whenever it's convenient or when it won't cost us anything. But all the time. Not your own way, sinner. But God's way. With a grateful heart, knowing that God will see His good purpose in our lives to completion. And on the faithful day, when we are called to stand in His presence... We will hear those wonderful words. Well done, you good and faithful servant. Father, forgive me when I sin. And help me to denounce sin in all forms in my life. As I fall and I slip back into poor choices, convict me, Holy Spirit, and remind me of your love for me and how you have called me to love others as you have indeed loved me. Father, activate my faith that I may share your hope and love with others in practical ways. Fill us, Holy Spirit, that we may gain the courage to accomplish what you lead us to do, so that with grateful hearts we may serve you daily in our service of others, O oh God. Send us, Father. Let our actions be Christ-centered. Let our source rely on the Holy Spirit and His will and His guiding in our life so that we may honor you, God, and glorify you in all that we do. For we pray these things, indeed, in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Because you are closer than my skin. Lord, come light the fire again.
Blessed are the poor in spirit We know we need you Blessed are the poor in spirit We know we need you I loosen the grip where I've held on too tight I lay down my riches And give up my rights Lord, I won't be holding on I'm letting go Blessed are the hungry children For we'll be satisfied Oh, blessed are the hungry children For we'll be satisfied So I won't spend my gold that won't fill I look to the heavens knowing only you will Jesus I'm hungry come satisfy me I won't spend my gold on bread that won't to the heavens knowing only you will cause Jesus I'm hungry come satisfy oh Jesus I'm hungry come satisfy Blessed are the pure in heart, for we will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for we will see I depend on 
depend on you. I love that song. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they know we need God. I've loosened the grips, it says, when I've held on too tight. Blessed are the hungry children, for they will be satisfied. Indeed, Lord, we are thirsty and hungry for your righteousness. Fill us with your presence and hope. Blessed are the poor of heart, it says, for we will see God. Hallelujah. I encourage you to please visit Jonathan Ogden's page and, and support his music. These are great videos for, for times of prayer and personal worship. I use them all the time. Next time, we want to look at this idea that Paul mentioned about the peace of Christ. And we want to dig a little deeper into that. So join us as we uh, do, as we believe and dig into these wonderful promises. We are so grateful to have had you join us in this time together today. And we pray that you will be motivated to put your faith into action, into practical action. Please visit our website at 217faith.church or, or as you watch us on YouTube, Facebook, on X, wherever you may be. Help us to spread the word by liking and sharing and, and clicking those notifications below. It really helps us to get the word out. If you would like to support our evangelistic efforts, uh, you can access our Patreon account and, and become a contributor. You can become a, an enabler in the best of meaning of the word of this ministry. We'll add, make sure that we add the uh, link to, to the scripture below, and we thank you in advance. God's calling humbles us to preach his message of hope, of love, and invitation. 
And so we need you to join us, that together we can reach more who surely need God's welcoming word of grace today. Again, please visit our website, 217faith.church. Utilize all of the resources that are there uh, uh, from books and all kinds of other studies and things that are there to help you through your own Christian experience. Until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his face to you and grant you peace. May God bless you.